Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from Paris and an immersion into all things France. I'll speak with Alexandre Lebrano, an American expat and author of My Seat at the Table and his incredible excursions into French food. About the food scene in Paris right now, nothing hotter. For once, some good news for travelers. Then I'll check in with Meg Zimbeck. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of Paris by Mouth. You guessed it, more great food stories and sources. And finally... In a summer where airfares overseas are now soaring, are there any low fare options? I'll sit down with Marc Rocher, the CEO of an airline you may not have heard about. It's called French B. For an update on how this low fare carrier, which flies between Paris, New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, can survive in a summer of inflation, soaring jet fuel prices, and, well, the usual chaos. First up, let's eat with Alexander Lebrano. 
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Peter. I'm assuming right now you are very well because Americans are coming back. Well, we're, we they are coming back. Um, I mean, we went through uh, we went through a tough time here because we had two re- total restaurant shutdowns. Paris lives in its restaurants um, almost more than any other city, uh, with the possible exception of New York. I mean, that's that's where everything happens is the restaurants, and so we missed the food, but we missed each other and we missed our visitors too. So it's great to see people coming back. Now, of course, I, I use New York as an example. During the pandemic, you know, we had 19,000 restaurants before the pandemic in, in, in New York. So many closed, never to reopen again. That happened here, too. No, the government, the government ah. really reached deep into its pockets. Uh, they feel that, I mean, they, uh, they, uh, the governor of uh, wonderful Macron uh, understands that gastronomy is a major spoke in the wheel of, of the French economy in terms of tourism, but also in terms of the country's image and what it, what it means to the world. So they protected the restaurants. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, unemployment insurance. There, was, there were loans. There were rent holidays. There were all sorts of things the, the government did to keep the restaurant industry pretty much on its feet. A couple of smaller places did go under. But um, overall, compared to many other places like London or Berlin in Europe, uh, our restaurant scene came through pretty much unscathed. Well, then, it's a perfect segue to my next question because you are all about the restaurant scene here in Paris. There are certain places that I will always go to when I come to Paris, and I'm happy to say they did stay open. But what's the newest stuff on the scene? Um, it's a really interesting time right now, Peter. I and mean, we've got uh, a whole new generation of, of talent emerging in Paris. Um, one of my favorite places is in a remote neighborhood. And I can't, uh, I can't insist enough upon the fact that if you want to eat well in this city, get out of the center of town and go to the double-digit arrondissement. Don't go from 1 to 9, go 10 to 20. That's really? where the talent is now because that's the rents are low out there and that's where the Parisians themselves live. So all the really interesting restaurants are in places that are not trod, well-trodden turf for most visitors, like Frippon. Frippon in French means a mischievous child. The chef is a brilliant young woman named Pauline Senet. Uh, she's one of the many young, talented female chefs who's emerging in Paris right now. Um, and, you know, this is an ongoing uh, ongoing uh, evolution in France. I mean, France, the gastronomy, French gastronomy has been very macho. Um, and it's gotten, you know, called out for being unfair and exclusive and what have you. It's opening up. It's opening up a lot. And so a lot of very talented young women are, are now working in Paris. Um, the city's more open to the world. The three places that are really influencing France right now are the good old USA, um, anything Asian. France is in love with everything Asian, and Israel. Well, one of my favorite restaurants here in Paris is Asian-influenced, Lahid. Right. With an Asian chef. I mean, the restaurant is the size of a small kitchen. They may, they may have 10 tables in the whole restaurant, 
it's not one of those over-the-top exclusive locations or expenses. And if you can get a reservation, just go, and whatever you order on the menu is going to be great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Here at the at the Prince de Galles, um, where we are at the moment, there's it's interesting, too, because the chef in their restaurant here is a Korean-American. And they have a Korean-American restaurant now. Exactly. And so this is I'm, a perfect I'm, yeah. example of what's happening in Paris right now. The city's never been so cosmopolitan. That said, the other main trend post-COVID, and let's hope, inshallah, that it is post-COVID, um, is there's a return to basics. I mean, people don't want fiddly food. Uh, now they want good, solid, grandmotherly bistro cooking. So the other place that I'm sending people right now is a new bar, a wine bar, or wine bistro in the Marais called Parcelle. Um, and it's the type of place you go once you want to make a reservation on your way out the door and go back every night. I mean, it's a fantastic wine list, excellent French food, um, and delightful bilingual service. We're talking to Alexander Lebrano, the author of My Place at the Table, and my go-to guy here in Paris every time I show up. You know, it's funny, I, speaking of showing up, I was in London last week for the Queen's Jubilee. I then get on, I got on the Eurostar, which is only 20 minutes late considering the madness in the infrastructure of travel and transportation. And every time I end up at Gare du Nord, the train station, the minute I come out, I'm confronted, I'm, 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 it's terrible. I mean, you walk out, the first thing you see is Burger King, McDonald's, and Five Guys. And it's like, when will we stop trying to, to re reach our comfort level from the United States? And let's just like, Get back into France. Um, you know, that's that's because of the foot traffic. If you walk two blocks yeah. over next time, here's here's a tip for you. Ah, here you. we go. There's a place called Les Arlots, which is a little hole-in-the-wall bistro. It's about a five-minute walk with with a roller bag from the from the train station. And there you'll be surrounded by food-loving people. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent food and a really good meal for 30 euros. That's not bad. Okay. Now... The other restaurant that's still out there, speaking of train stations, is Le Train Bleu. Le Train Bleu is a place that everyone should see once. It's absolutely You know like, what? You know, You're absolutely right. I've seen I, really, it. I, I, mean, I ate there once and I said, okay, I've done it. Right. And that was it. But people need to know that if you happen to be catching the uh, Orient Express, <laughs> go early and then have dinner there. Well, it's, it's you know, it is... Um, the frescoes of the southern French destinations that are served by what used to be the, the PLM, the Paris-Lyon-Marseille Railroad, um, are so dreamy that they make you, you know, they make you anxious to get on the train and head south. Yeah, um, it gets you in the mood. It's just, mag it's magnificent. I mean, it, and it was built for the Universal Exposition of 1900, and so it has all that Belle Epoque glory. My deal there though i say yes go but eat simple i mean have something very have a terrine or a salad to start and then have the, the roast lamb which is carved table side don't get involved with anything more ambitious eat simple and enjoy the scenery <laughs> you know speaking of the scenery my first time there and my only time there was when i was a correspondent for newsweek and we had a paris correspondent here who was having a little bit of difficulty he just moved and was having a little bit of difficulty with the language mm -hmm. he really didn't speak french he says but i'm going to take he was showing off he says i'm taking this amazing restaurant le train bleu it's where the orient express leaves at the train station and dinner's on me just and i'll do all the ordering so i go in there with him <laughs> and he starts to order and i'm looking at the waiter who's got this puzzled look on his face every time he makes an item for the menu and, the, and are you sure oh we 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 i want this and i want that and 
I'm sitting there waiting, for, and he's boasting about what's going to be coming to the table. They make the most, the most amazing this and the most amazing. He ordered head cheese, and a oh. and a, lar- a head cheese and a, and the head of a pig, and he didn't know it. <laughs> and and this comes to the table, and he tried to make me think that that's what he had in mind all along. <laughs> did he eat it? He did. I okay, didn't. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the, the language can be a weapon. Yeah. I, I, I have punished more than one photographer by translating when they say to me, uh, what's an andouillette? Andouillette is like a chitterling sausage, you know, filled with intestines. Uh, oh, yeah, rather, as we do. A rather odiferous mess. Um, and I have often, depending on who asks the question, I'll say, oh, it's a nice little sausage. You should try it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your payback. Right. That's your payback. Alex, let's talk about the food itself. Because, you know, everybody's confronted with supply chain issues, uh, not just in Paris, but globally now. It's sourcing. And, you know, people ask me, okay, where are the best this? And where's the best that? And I can give them the answer, but I not necessarily can find it for them, right? So where's the, somebody says to me, where's the best butter in the world? I go, it's Brittany. I mean, that for me is, that's French, that's butter. Where, where, where's the best oysters? It happens to be Brittany again. Right. Right? But are, are, are they able to source it now? Is it still coming in? France has been blessed all through its history, and it's one reason why this country never really was a country of immigration. It's always fed its, it's been able to feed its people. There was never famine in France. And even during these turbulent times, the shelves are, are well-stocked all over, all over the country. You know, I mean, the infrastructure of food in France is such, that if I'm spending time in a little village in the south of France, I can order from a online from a fisherman in Brittany and have the shrimp, oysters, and live lobster delivered to my doorstep before noon the following day. Okay, uh, that's it. I'm moving. It's it's called Luximare, if anybody wants to know the name, luximare.com. Um, it's a miraculous thing. The internet has changed everything here, too, because you can get absolutely everything. And I learned this when, during the lockdowns when we were... You, know, you had to. Apartments. Yeah. And the major websites for the supermarkets were crashing because everybody was trying to order. So you went to so other websites. Know, so we're waiting until like five o'clock in the morning with your, you know, your shopping list filled out, hoping to hit, you know, buy. Um, but in the meantime, I'm ordering meat from, a, you know, the butcher in a village in the Auvergne in central France. And it's I'm, showing up. It's show, everything's showing up. Um, well, there's another you, better you quality and less yeah. money than what I was spending in Paris. Um, so to answer your question, Peter, the the I mean, France is a very blessed country, not only for the quality and variety of the food, but for the fertility of the the, the country and its and its um, the stewardship of the seas that surround France. If you said to me, aside from the butter and the oysters. What should I definitely eat when I'm there that is better than anywhere else in the world? I'd say France has the best seafood in the entire world. It's served by two different coastlines. You've got the English Channel, you've got the Atlantic Ocean, and you've and got you have the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. And each sea, um, different fish are landed in these ports from small boats instead of those great big trawlers that you know thrash the fish and destroy it. Um, they're brought in, they're put on ice, and they're sent, you know, instantly to the fishmonger. Um, so the seafood in France is remarkable. Um, and the other thing, chicken, you know, roast chicken lovers of the world unite. I think that the, the best chicken in the entire world is found in France. And the fanciest is, of course, the 
the poulet de Bresse, which the late Paul Bocuse used to cook. That's a very fancy looking chicken with uh, with bright blue feet that comes from outside of Lyon, and it costs a fortune, and most people only eat it at Christmas time. But even the supermarket chickens in France, as long as you buy a, a, a you know a free range bird. Um, you're going to get excellent chicken here. Of course, the French gas station sushi, stay away from. I think the super, here I'll, 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 you know, I'll respect my home country. American supermarket sushi rules. I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole in France. I will occasionally buy it in the United States. You know, every country has its, 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 its weakness, exactly, its weakness. as does everyone who likes good food. Um, but no, I think that I would definitely, in France, it would definitely be seafood, shellfish, uh, poultry. Um, you forgot one. Cheese. And et le fromage, absolutely. You know, it's funny. That you, you mentioned the website. A number of years ago, there was this website. I think it's still out there called iGourmet. Mm-hmm. It's just one word, the letter I followed by gourmet. And they were telling me, you know, we can source anything and we'll get it to you within 48 hours. And I'm like, really? Oh, yes. Well, I found myself two weeks later in Milan. And I walked into a small store. And there I... I discovered the creamiest, stinkiest gorgonzola that I just loved. Mm. You can't. This, when it comes to gorgonzola, it's got to be creamy and stinky, and I'm in. And runny. But, but I, right. But you can't take that on the plane. You'll evacuate the plane, right? So I figured, okay. I I, I wrote down that this is before cell phone ever had a camera. I just wrote down the the, the label of the of the thing, made a note. Two days later, I'm in Amsterdam, and I found the most amazing smoked Gouda black truffle. Yum. Right. Mm. Okay. Write it down. Now I called the guys. I went online. I said, okay, let's see if these guys are doing it because I'm going back to New York the next day. And I said, I want this and I want this. I land in New York and six hours later, there's a knock on my door and there it is. I'm like wow. going, what? Yeah. You know, now it was not inexpensive, but boy, did I love it. And you know what? If you want to treat yourself every once in a while, you can do that. Now, you can source anything. Well, the whole, that, that, that's why, I mean, the internet really, for people who love good food, has changed absolutely everything. And um, the other thing that's nice now, to, again, to tip my hat at, the, at, at our home country, is the renaissance in American cheese. I mean, what I do now sometimes when I'm in the U.S., I like to buy f- American farmhouse cheeses. You know, in Wisconsin, for example, there are some aged cheddars. I mean, you, you think of Wisconsin, America's different, but seriously aged cheddars. And you go to these farmers' markets, and in Madison, it's around the state capital, and they have a very interesting rule about someone who's going to exhibit at a farmer's market. You have to be the guy who grew the melon. You have to be the guy who made the cheese if you're going to exhibit there. So people who come to buy it can actually have a conversation with you and learn, right? So it's a producer's market. It is a producer's a market. market. Right. right. No middlemen, no distributors. Right. Here's the problem. They haven't figured out how to ship. They haven't figured out how to take a credit card. So if you find the stuff you want there, you can't, unless you live in Madison, Wisconsin, or somewhere in the surrounding areas, what are you going to do? Right. Well, happily, um, I mean, what I've known, one one great thing for people who love cheese that I've noticed in the U.S., there are more and more really good small cheese shops all over the place. I mean, I think that this love and curiosity about cheese, which many Americans first really sort of stubbed their toes on in Europe, 
um, now has crossed the Atlantic and people do understand the, the pleasure of quality cheeses, including raw milk cheeses. People often don't know that. Uh, the reason cheese tastes so much better often in Europe than it does in the U.S. is that uh, most American cheeses are made from pasteurized milk, which kills off the bacteria that create the flavor of cheese. Um, but that being said, there is some raw milk cheese in the U.S., and there are great little cheese shops everywhere from uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, the Fairfield Cheese Company, uh, the Artisan Cheese Shop in Sarasota, Florida. There are great places all over the United States. And coming out of the uh, coming out of COVID, we've got to shop at these places. We've got to put our money where our mouths are, as it were, and help these small food retailers because they really suffered during the, they the, did. the lockdowns. My dream of my dream definition, I should say, of a cheese store that's great is when you walk in and say, do you have any brie? And they go, how long do you have? Right. How much time do you have? Because they don't have one, they've got 10. Right. And then, and then if you're really lucky, they say, stick around a little bit longer. I mean, that's the way you want to do it. Well, this is, this is why one of my favorite articles that I've ever written for the New York Times. Brie is from a, a flat region of, called the Saint-Imane, which is east, in, east of Paris. Great Plains, which used to be dairy farming. And um, there were, every town had its own style of brie. So I did a, a brie, uh, like a brie road trip, going to different dairies all the way through and wrote about Followed it. Followed by a stretcher and a hospital. Which, yeah. which then, according to the <laughs> farmers who I know out there, um, they were getting, you know, droves of New Yorkers following in my footsteps. And people were astonished by how different they actually are. Okay, stupid question. I know you can only call it champagne because it's from Champagne in France. What about the word brie? Brie, unfortunately, has become somewhat generic. I mean, in, in France, you know, you cannot, it's a, uh, it has to be produced within the actual region, with de government-designated region, from milk that has been produced in that region. Outside of France, they make brie, quote, brie in Denmark, they make it in Germany, they make it all over Europe. Brie-style cheeses, which is... Yes, a, but you know what? You give me a brie that's as hard as a rock, I don't want to eat it. Well, that's just it, and that's what you're going to run into. Yeah. So, I mean, I Same think... Same thing with camembert, by the way. Camembert is um, an endangered product, actually, Peter. I mean, camembert, the real small producers in Normandy, many of them have been bought up by one big French cheese company, they're what they are. Uh, they don't want to do raw milk cheese because raw milk cheeses don't last as long as pasteurized milk cheeses. Another reason why the American cheese producers often use pasteurized cheese. Um, so camembert, you know, eat it when you come over here because you're, it's that's one cheese that is not going to be as good in the U.S. as it is in France. My thanks to Alexander. Meg Zimbeck is also an American expat. And she's a foodie, which might explain why she moved to Paris and is never leaving. She shares with me some of her secret haunts, but more importantly, how to find them. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
Hello, Meg Zimbeck. How are you? Hello, Peter. It's so nice to talk with you again. Yeah. So how long have you lived in, in, in France now? Well, I moved there in 2004 to work in public health, and then I changed my life around to work in food. <laughs> well, I think one, they're one and the same, isn't, it? isn't, that, isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> I have a much more broad uh, idea about what public health is now. It includes um, steak frites. And snails. There, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. So let's get serious for a second because, you know, I have I, I can honestly say this, and, and you might disagree with this, but I've been coming to Paris since I'm 12 years old. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And wow. I have never had a bad meal. Um, and, and I'm talking from the simplest bistro to the most elaborate, you know, Alain Ducasse experience. Um, it's it's just it's never failed to uh, to please me. Well, that is wonderful, and you clearly are getting good advice, or just following your nose into the right places. I will say it is quite possible to have a less than stellar meal in well, Paris, well, and I think that's one of my motivations for researching it so heavily. <laughs> well, then why don't you help me out here and tell me, you, sure. know, uh, you know, what I need to avoid. Or what the buzz, when you see a certain buzzword, I'll give you an example. When I look at a hotel brochure and it says Mm -hmm. steps from the beach, I run because (laughs) I know they haven't, they haven't specified the number of steps. That to me is a red flag (laughs) or, or, uh, or old world charm. That means they haven't renovated the hotel in 35 years. Right. So these are the things, you know, and, and, or, or ocean view. Yeah, if you bring binoculars and you're hanging from a thread from the window. So those are the things that that get me. What are the buzzwords that maybe get you or or give you the red flags that you want me to know about? Well, you know, I think that with food, it's less about buzzwords and more about where it is. So the same idea, you know, with hotels, sometimes the hotel that might be in the most desirable location isn't actually <laughs> the one you want to be at. You maybe want to be just a few blocks away from that. And with food, it's really true. I know you have a personal preference for sort of off the beaten track, hidden gems. And in Paris, that is, uh, that holds true. You don't really want to be right next to Notre Dame, right next to the Eiffel Tower, right next to the Louvre. Um, for the most part, there are exceptions to that. But Finding places that are just, you know, at least four blocks away from a major monument will really improve your chances of finding something great. You know, we do have guides on our website and in our newsletter about where to find things near the Louvre and (laughs) near the Eiffel Towers. So I don't want to be a total hypocrite here, but they're rare. Like we've had to work pretty hard to find the ones that are good and even then they're still like a good five ten minute walk away so and you, avoiding and you, just, things. And you know what you just mentioned the key word <laughs> it's the walk because if mm-hmm. i'm going to go to the musée d'orsay i want to walk there and on the way there that's yeah. where, that's where i'm going to find stuff right um oh gosh it's such a walkable city isn't it it is so much smaller than people think and then mm-hmm. there, there are restaurants that are historic that I just have to go to. I know that they're going to have attitude. And and by the way, I usually, <laughs> but it's not the, it's not a sneering attitude. It's not a condescending right. attitude. It's a different kind of attitude because you're not local, um, and, and 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 you're going to get great service. But you're going to get the rolling of certain eyes from the waiters if you don't order exactly the way you should be ordering. Um, so, and, and I'm not <laughs> talking about right. and I'm I not talking right. about over the top restaurants. I'm talking about a place like Brasserie Lip 
which, which sure. uh, you know, it's been around for 100 years. And, and by the way, so have the waiters. And so, <laughs> and that's okay because it's their profession. And mm-hmm. it, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying it's, it's one of those things where you have to experience it, but don't take it personally because they're not, it's not directed at you. It's just they want to do their job the best way. You know, I was fascinated when I moved there about just how different the dining codes are. And it's not, honestly, it's not that waiters hate us or sneer at us if we get something wrong. It's just that they don't know why. They don't realize we don't know. And they don't know why we're asking for (laughs) crazy things like coffee at the same time as dessert. Or why we're just sitting there not asking for the bill when clearly we want the bill. Shouldn't we just ask? <laughs> I always grew up with certain things that people said, this is a rule. You can never buy, violate it or you do so at your own peril. Right? You know, never order, you know, seafood on a Sunday. Uh, never order <laughs> oysters on a Saturday. Never because they don't get their deliveries and they've been sitting around in the refrigerator for four days. I'm beginning to think that that doesn't apply anymore in a world of almost constant sourcing. You know, it, it almost makes me sad, right? I, I do like some of the routines of, you know, when I first moved to Paris, there were certain dishes that, you know, Wednesday, you could always expect to find this. You know, on Friday, you could expect to find brandad, like a, a salt cod dish with potato puree, et cetera, et cetera. And those sort of daily menus do exist. Um, there are certain brasseries. One is called A Lepidor, which is by uh, Jean-Paul, Jean-Francois Piège near the Louvre. Um, that do have sort of a daily special where you can always expect to find, I don't know, I'm making this one up, stuffed cabbage on Tuesdays. But there's something comforting in that, you know? Like, it's nice to build your routine around something like that. I think that's definitely, as you noted, falling by the wayside, um, having this kind of daily menu. And I I would say that um, in terms of seafood, there's still a lot of restaurants that just don't put seafood specials or don't put oysters on their menu on Sunday. And I don't know if that's actually a sourcing issue or just a tradition. It's a myth. Um, <laughs> it's maybe, a, let's call it a myth, as you said. Hey, but the but one, at this but, point, but, yeah. yeah. But the, the good Go news, if there is good news, is that the U.S. dollar is at its strongest point against the euro in about five years. Uh, at one point, it got down to, I think, a dollar two or a dollar three. It's over that now, but it's still a relative bargain considering what it could have been, especially for the summer of 2022. Absolutely. I think as Americans, we're paying about 20% less in terms of real spending than we would have three years ago. So that's excellent. I know we're all suffering from a little bit of inflation in the U.S. right now, so it's maybe helping with that, helping to take the edge off of that, the fact that we're going to have to spend a lot less. And what about when su- we go over to Europe? Yeah, and what about supply chain issues? Because you know, they're pl- how do you source the food if the containers aren't showing up? Well, the good news for France is that, especially in Paris, especially the kind of restaurants that we talk about in Paris by mouth, they're getting things that don't come from far away. You know, I don't mean to say that there's never an ingredient that flies from overseas or shipped from overseas. But for the most part, France is a very agricultural nation, and most restaurants are getting their beef, their seafood, certainly their vegetables from within France. And so we're not experiencing the same kind of supply chain issues in restaurants that you might expect, you know, in restaurants that are flying in their seafood from Japan or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> it's really not as much of an issue that, that eating more locally really has benefited Paris in this moment. Have you ever done a, a, like a, a traditional census about how many restaurants there are in Paris? <laughs> I have not, but, you know, Peter, we've been writing about restaurants since 2010, 
And one of the big projects over the pandemic when everything was closed and we had some time to really dig in and clean things up is we went through and we had added 600 restaurants to our guide on our website (laughs) over the 10 years. Wow. And that's just the ones where we're being picky, right? So um, there's a lot of places to eat in Paris. We've gone through and cleaned it up so that we're now recommending 200, you know, a tight collection. (laughs) But I should tell you, Meg, uh, from the Prince de Gaulle where we are right now, I walked just from the Champs-Élysées to this hotel, which is not a long walk. Uh, and then I turned left and went about three blocks to the left. And I counted on one on that three-block walk, 22 restaurants. Amazing. And you know what? They're used. They're, they're full. <laughs> Parisians have very small apartments. And we like to go out and meet our friends outside because it's not always comfortable to have people over you know we don't have big backyards where we can grill in the states so exactly we meet our friends out we experience life out restaurants are really like a second living room for us and speaking of and and speaking of the word living room if you take a look at at a u.s restaurant and how many tables they need to turn in a night versus Mm. versus a paris restaurant and how people actually approach the eating experience you know, you're not going to be turning more tables than you would in the United States. You'll be turning less. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, it used to be that you could reserve really at almost any time and show up because the table would be yours for the full evening. That, I have to say, is changing. My most recent explorations in the last month or two have found that a lot of restaurants, especially if you book online, are really pushing you to book either at 7-ish or 10-ish p.m., and the reason is they're trying to do two seatings. Having said that, that's still so different than the U.S. where we kind of turn tables every hour, right? Or just a little bit less exactly. frequently than that. And, for those, and, people, so, and, and yeah. for those people who kind of insist that they don't want to change their lifestyle when they change their location, I would like to encourage you to try to jettison, as long as you're here in France, especially here in Paris, your fast food approach to eating. Um you right. Need, this is where you take your time. This is where you really ha- have your conversations. You're not eating on. You're not really eating on the run, and that's the good thing. My thanks to Meg. Ever heard of an airline called French Bee? Chances are you haven't. But they fly nonstop from New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco to Paris. But they also fly to Tahiti, and to at least one other surprise destination. CEO Mark Roche thinks he's found the right low fare formula. Welcome back. Hello, Peter. Thanks to welcome me in your show, and I'm very glad to answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do our we'll do our best. I think it's safe to say the summer of 2022 is shaping up to be big, and it's also shaping up to be mad in terms of infrastructure, in terms of you know borders, testing, going through security, flight delays, cancellations. You and I've seen the, the staff shortages on a global level earlier this week. American Airlines, you know, it wasn't just about canceling flights anymore or canceling routes. They actually grounded 100 planes because they. They had to admit they didn't have the pilots to fly them. Is this going to be going on all summer long, do you think? I think it's going to be, as you said, a, a good summer uh, because the demand is there. There are a lot of people who have been uh, trapped for two years and uh, they want to travel now. They have a bit of cash because
because they made some savings. So there is a strong demand, uh, Europe to US, US to Europe. And I think this is the good news. We are out of a crisis about this uh, virus and uh, we are quite optimistic about the future. Now, there are a lot of issues which are very difficult for operators and which are going to be difficult for customers also. And mainly, I think there will be a big uh, traffic jam in the airports. Why? Because in the airports, a lot of people have been uh, being redundant in the previous years, in the previous two years. So there is a lack of staff in many airports, ground services, uh, ticket control, passport control, luggage, uh, everything is going to be very difficult. We, uh, we will have to adapt and we will have also to be more and more digitalized because when you look at what you are doing into an airport, a lot of things are still done by hand. This is quite stupid. We are in 2022 and many things can be done through Kiosk, uh, automatic control process and they are not done. So difficult uh, time for this summer, probably big demand, good thing and also perspective for the future, we need to go more and more automatic. You know, I'm seeing things here in, in Europe, in, in, in the United Kingdom, British Airways is offering anybody who works for them on the ground a $1,000 signing bonus if they just show up. Uh, EasyJet is offering them $1,000 if they just stay through the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how crazy it is. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. And I think we have to fix it. It's our responsibility. We need to serve our customers. We need to serve them well. So French B is doing uh, the best we can do. We have also, I have to say, uh, sometimes chosen a different uh, way of going through. For instance, our flight to New York, uh, Newark Airport is a bit late in the afternoon, quite late. And we have done that because we know that in around 5 p.m. the traffic is totally overcrowded. So at Newark, yeah, yeah. and we need to be a bit out of the peak. So we try to be uh, very late. We we came into Newark at uh, 9 p.m. We go back to Paris at 11 p.m. But we think it's better to have this uh, schedule, which is good for customer off peak, than to be in the peak with a lot of crowded and uh, saturated uh, installations. Right, you'll be sitting on the tarmac just waiting for a gate. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the gate is an issue, but not only gates, as you said, uh, custom control, luggage, uh, uh, ticketing, everything is difficult because uh, we are lack of uh, staff in many, many airport services. Now, your airline is, is, I would think you'll agree, is a low fare carrier. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you were doing fares earlier this year, round trip to, I think, $198 to Paris at one point uh, each way uh, from New York. Obviously, that's increased as, as demand has increased. But right now, it'll probably make you feel happy to know that it's cheaper to fly from New York to Paris than it is from New York to L.A., yeah, I know that. And it's something in Europe, I have to say. If you want to fly Paris to Greece this summer, or fly even Paris to Italy, you will pay quite the same price if you want to fly for New York. Why? Uh, because uh, uh, in this new demand coming after the crisis, the customer demand is stronger on not very long destination. They want to stay around where they live. They want to stay close. So they want to stay close, not too far. And... Uh, as we said before, summer demand on North Atlantic is going to be good. It will be around the figures of 2019. 
same figures, it will not be an explosive demand. If you take a look, let's go back about a year ago, Mark, you know, the big rebuild in the travel industry was led by the leisure travelers. It wasn't business travelers. And so that was great for you. It was great for low fare carriers in the United States as well. But none of you can avoid the cost of fuel. None of you can avoid the cost of inflation, maintenance, supplies, the, the supply chain alone. So how do you maintain an airline with low fares when you're paying the same amount of money that everybody else is for all that? Good question. First of all, as you said before, the important thing is that uh, the demand from customers is back. After the crisis, two years almost, lift of the travel ban, the demand is there. People want to travel. They want to go to visit their people, their family, uh, the students want to travel. So demand is good. And this demand will, in, in, in some way, uh, drive the future. This is the most important thing. Now, costs are going up, as you said, very sharply, mainly fuel costs. Fuel cost is roughly speaking 30% of the total cost of an airline, long-haul airline. So when this uh, item, fuel cost 30% is almost doubling, this is a, a huge impact on, on the cost and on at the end of the day on the ticket price. But as a low cost, we have, I think, two advantages. First one is we are totally focused on VFR, visit friends and relatives, and tourist people. So the demand VFR, is strong. visiting friends and relatives. Absolutely. Right. And this part of the traffic of the demand of a customer is very important for us. And we are probably the most well-suited airline to do that. Uh, not only French bit, but all low-cost. We are doing better than, for instance, many legacy carriers. They have 80 seats on board business seats. We cannot fulfill them. So on terms of comparison, on terms of competition, this is good for us. because, yeah, because they, can't fill that bus- they can't fill that business model. Absolutely, they cannot. And we can, we can, on our side, fulfill our airplane. Just uh, to give you a flavor, for this summer... French B F350, 400 and uh, 11 passengers on board. We are targeting... 411 passengers and an A350. A350, which is a very good airplane, by the way. Uh, Our target for uh, uh, load factor is 82%, which is very good. That's very good. So we will resist better than the legacy. Second point... When you are a smart cost airline, uh, even if you increase your smart cost airline, let's make an example by uh, uh, 10%, this is an increase in the ticket price of, what, $40, $50. Legacy, they need a lot of more than $40 and $50. So I think that uh, the demand is on our side. And even on the cost comparison, as you said, we pay the fuel the same price in Air France, to be clear. But uh, my costs are lower, so my increase in cost to the customer will be lower than the legacy. So we are quite optimistic at the end of the day. <laughs> and you're filling the planes. Yeah, we have very good load factors. Why? Because, as you said before, the demand is back, but on economy, on on coach, the, the demand is not back on, on, on business class. Right. This is not by, perhaps it will be back in 2023 or 2024, but the demand is very strong on uh, economy and coach, and we are almost suited for all this traffic. Now, you have another route, which most Americans don't know about. I know about it. It's one of the things that attracted me to French B. You fly from Paris to the Indian Ocean. You're out there to Reunion Island which is a very cool destination. Now, if I went on one of your planes today to Reunion Island, I would suspect that about 98% of the passengers are French, not American. Absolutely. (laughs) Because it's a French territory, uh, 
roughly speaking, uh, uh, about 750,000 people are living in Réunion, which is a small island. This is very close to Mauritius. There is a lot of demand from French people either traveling Réunion to Paris or Paris to Réunion. But what we are seeing, like in the French West Indies, is that the traffic is growing now with more and more European passengers. A lot of Germans, for instance, want to travel to Réunion and to uh, uh, Mauritius. Why? Because it it's new for them. They don't know about that. This is a peaceful uh, place in the world. Uh, summer is uh, absolutely uh, uh, very good for the weather. The weather is very fine. But, but the so, good news is it's sort of a secret destination for Americans. If you're smart, come through Paris, have a few days here, and then go down to Reunion yeah, Island. Yeah, oh, what absolutely, amazing. because it's a very nice country and very nice place. And uh, I would say uh, this is quite different. You will not face a mass of tourists there because uh, there are very few today so you can travel uh, into the island uh, without meeting any tourists so it's good well, here for we you are in the summer of 2022 a place that nobody knows no crowds beautiful count me in yeah, that's that's the only way to do it. That's the only way. And, to, no, and, no. and and do a small jump to Mauritius, which is very close. Yes, three four days in Réunion, three four days in Mauritius, and that will be a, a huge and excellent travel for you. My thanks to Mark, to Meg Zimbeck, and to Alexander Lebrano, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel and answers for your travel questions. Be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what you have to dig into, petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.